0: You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today, Nico Vachellari of Cota Lunga and Ninos do Brazil. Hello. Hello. Ciao. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Man, it's great to have you here. You are here in our presence today. You were happened to be in town, so we knew we just had to had to have you. On.
2: It's my pleasure, really. Nice to see you again, you all.
3: (laughs) Ah, It's been too long. Way too long,
2: way too long. It has been a while.
1: And, you know, Gray, of course, mentioned Cotolunga, which is the gallery that you run. Is that that many many functions? What do you call it? it? I mean,
2: what do you consider Cotolunga? I will call it like a project space. I don't know if it makes any sense, but that's the way I call it. You know, like, um, essentially... At at the beginning, it was a section, like a spatial section of my studio that I thought was not working well for as a studio because he had these big windows on the street in this very remote town in the middle of nowhere in the Northeast of Italy. And people were entering all the time, asking questions about what I was making inside there. And so I decided that it was possibly a nice exhibition space and I started, in 2005, by inviting other artists uh, to experiment, you know, like to exhibit their work. And then all of a sudden it felt like I was asking too much, you know, to artists like to come there and install their work. And basically it was only really functioning when we had the openings and nobody else will come afterwards. No one will come afterwards. So I thought maybe it was a better place for performance in general so whatever you want to uh to call as a performance act to like concerts dj set improvisation set and so it's it's been going on for a while now
1: and and the small town you speak of is vittorio veneto yeah is the town and, and both Tara and I have, have been there a couple times and I've always thought it's so such a great idea because it is this very small town. There's no real, it wouldn't be on someone's tour route Absolutely aside not. <laughs> from what you started there. So you really built this, you've built an entire thing out of from nothing in this very small town.
2: Yeah, I have to say, in a way, I'm quite surprised of what me and the other people that helped me along the years, you know, to run this place managed to achieve. Because, you know, like for the first gigs or events, there were maybe like six to 20 people attending, you know, and still we had a great time, but it was just, you know, not different than uh, having a drink, you know, at the local bar. But... I thought there was a sense of uh, necessity, I would say, you know, because like to me to be so isolated, especially during my teenage time, Mm -hmm. uh, it was very, very important, meaning like very influential, very inspiring, because all of a sudden I understood that, um, you know, I I got into hardcore and punk and let's say underground subculture, whatever you want to call it when I was maybe 15 years old, there was nothing happening in Vittorio Veneto. Like the closest events were happening in Padova, which is like a couple of hours drive. And when I was 15, I was considered too young for my parents to go there and attend whatever events. They could not even understand what I was talking about. And all of a sudden I had this vision that maybe if I could not go to the events, the events could come to me. And I started to organize things in my parents' garage where they, when they were gone. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, but how do I do that? You know, like, okay, you need to find all the back line. And that's one thing. Then how do you promote it? So you make a flyer, but then all of a sudden it's like, how does this flyer have to look like? And then when you do, once you decide to make, two events we have a series all of of a sudden you know so it all became very very important to me so I kept on working on this idea of being in the middle unaware because to me it was a way to reach an audience that was not prepared or even interested in what I was proposing and to me that's an essential part of the underground culture you know like confronting people that do not understand
1: well, and you even did a tour of the town in thirty. Did you, you did thirty shows in thirty days? Is that correct?
2: No, that's what another. The the one you're talking about now is the latest project of Ninos to Brazil. Like <laughs> but no, that, we're talking
3: about before that when you but just before did, that
2: mm-hmm. I you know like I was invited by this museum in uh, in Austria to to create an artwork that dealt in a way or another uh, about. The relationship between rock music in general and art and somehow you know i i came up with this idea of uh, creating a band uh, that was probably gonna be a total disaster you know like absolutely a non-commercial project and basically that was taking into consideration all the rules that uh, the entertainment industry think of in order to make a project successful. And I tried to twist that around in order to make my project completely unsuccessful. So I created this band, which like was supposed just to play within the town of Vittorio Veneto. And of course, there were two venues. At the time where you could play music, one being Codalunga Lunga and another (laughs) one being a a small club, you know, and uh, I decided I wanted to make a tour maybe of a couple of weeks asking whoever was running a little business or a business in town to see if they were willing to host this this concert. So we ended up playing in bars and like a pizzeria, a laundry place and. It was insane because, you know, like we started at Codelunga with 50, 60 people from the town attending the gig. And we ended up in a little restaurant like an osteria, like with more than 500 people, you know. <coughs> Meanwhile, we had the mayor calling, you know, me and, and he called me and he said, Nico, today we spoke about you at the tunnel. You have to stop this thing. And I was like, well, you know, like. I take this call as a compliment. (laughs) We're never going to give up. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to continue this. And and anyhow, I mean, it it was a funny conversation that I had with the mayor back then, but it was serious about the fact that everyone in town somehow, except for the people that were coming to the gigs, wanted this tour to stop, you know, but it was actually so nice to see that more and more people were coming and spreading the word and just enjoying this moment, you know, together in weird, actually weird meaning, you know, like non-usual places, you know, like, uh, because when you play, you perform inside the, the store, the rent, the DVDs, you know, it's like, oh my God, what is this all about? And once again, this is connected somehow to the vision I had for Kodalunga, you know, like, so going and reach an audience, which is not an audience that is prepared what they are facing or finding you know like uh, I there's a quote somehow you know like I I remember there was this interview with Sam McPeters from uh, Born Against and they asked him how would you define the music that you play And it was like "Ah, essentially I believe punk music is music that your parents should not enjoy and That's more or less the lesson I learned back back then. And I I still believe it's it's true to some extent.
3: So uh, did you play your parents' garage again? On that that. that tour?
2: No, but uh, I play in my parents' living room for my parents with with Ninos do Brasil last year during the tour that we did during the pandemic. So um mm, that, that's another project uh basically you know in during the second lockdown in italy you were not allowed to exit the house unless you had health issues or serious uh work i don't know essential engagement. work or yeah. is
3: what they call it i think
2: and there in that definition i thought i had some space to move you know because when i went to the tunnel for example to renew my identity card they asked me what kind of job i was doing i said i'm an artist i said mm, there's no you cannot be called an artist i was like what do you mean well we don't have such job i was like well that's what i do you know <laughs> like i don't ah. and they said no we we cannot this is this this way of calling your your job so in my identity card, it was written singer for a while, but that's a completely different. <laughs> story. But what I mean to say is just like the, the definition of the job of the artist is quite vague. And so, therefore, I thought I can possibly find my way around to exit the house. And in fact, what I did was to contact random people, or people, well, not random, but people I didn't know personally, and asked them whether they were willing or not to host a concert of Niños do Brasil at their place just for themselves. And most of the people I contacted said yes, absolutely, we're okay with that. So I did, I traveled with Niños for 20 days across the 20 regions of Italy, performing every day at a different person's house, just for the people that normally would live in the house. And I had this contract made with them, you know, like, so when the police was stopping me, it was like, what are you doing? I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I have a, I have a performance tonight. <laughs> it's like, like, you cannot, well, you know, this is a serious job, you know, like, look, I have a contract. It's like, yeah, but they are paying you five euro. It's like, yeah, but still at the end of the tour is like a hundred euro, which is like a hundred euro more than the government is giving me as an artist. So, you know, like this is serious work. And of course they understood uh, that it was some sort of uh, creative, uh, a loophole. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But on the other hand, they could not do anything to prevent this to happen. And um and the last day of the tour was at my parents' house, uh, just for them and my sister. Um did the bacheloris
3: play with you?
2: Not there. Okay. No, not there. <laughs> well, my mom at the last song stood up and sort of play a little drum kit, like uh, <laughs> uh the all this, be- all this project became a documentary um, that is out now. We presented it at some film festival, and now it's gonna be on TV in Italy at least. Um, is there a place to watch it online? Well, I'll send you the link because I think this channel that bought the the film is just for, for it uh, an Italy, okay. an Italian channel,
3: and that's Yanoi. Eh?
2: Yeah, okay. that's you noy. Know, that's your noise, know, And I have to say, you know, like, uh, well, first of all, that was the only live activity, more or less, that we had with Ninhos uh, do Brazil during the last couple of years. But it was quite motivating and uh, inspirational, in a way, inspiring and also touching to some extent, you know, like, because. I, w- I wasn't performing for my friends. I wasn't performing for people that enjoy Ninos do Brazil. I was performing for, you know, like a 80 years old lady in her living room just for her. I w- and the following day, maybe for a 12 year kids, you know. Well, so h- so how
1: did you pick who you contacted?
2: Basically, what happened was that uh, for every region, I had some sort of, I had a friend more or less in every region of Italy, or at least a person I could trust and I can talk about this project to. And I, and I asked if they knew anyone, anybody in the region that eventually would have had a story to tell me about the way they experienced the pandemic time. So you know, in every region there was somebody that was like, yeah, you know, like, the sister of the person that I work with uh, lost two brothers. Maybe you can play at their place. I would we'll get in contact. I was like, Yeah, you know, can we come? And, and she was like, Yes. And then um, in another region, Yeah, you know, like there's this guy who's like 18. He had a girlfriend that he could not visit because he could not exit the house, so he decided to work as a food uh, deliver delivery, I mean, the food delivery, and basically it was just you know like putting the bag, uh, the backpack on his on his back, and then go to his girlfriend, you know, like so. There were a lot of <laughs> like the the idea behind the project was um, there were multiple ideas, but one was definitely the idea of collecting true story through different people you know uh of different ages uh different different social instructions uh and to understand through their point of view what this this year at the time was just one year of pandemic uh was you know what, what it meant to them and basically it was a collective story and then another idea was that you know like the museum were closed the cinemas were closed the theater were closed and the club were closed so to me the only way to keep something going on culturally was if i would manage to transform the house of someone into a cultural place and therefore i just asked these people to transform their living room their bedroom into you know a a stage Basically, that 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 was the whole, that, that's what the world project was about. And did you ever have problems with police or? The police, you know, was stopping us, I wouldn't say on a daily basis, but more or less. And, uh, but again, you know, we had this contract and there was nothing they could do. Uh, we had the police coming a couple of times because, you know, the neighbor complained about oh, yeah, the, the noise, you know, about the sound. But they were also, I have to say, very tolerant, you know, like I think somehow they understood. I wouldn't go as far as saying, you know, they understood the nature of the project, but I think they sort of understood the attitude and they understood that the attitude was a positive one. It's kind-hearted
3: mischief. Exactly.
0: (laughs) It was
2: not like, hey, fuck you, you know, we're here, we do what the fuck we want, you Mm -hmm. know, like sometimes you know yeah. we all have done in the past you know like this was more like hey we need to react to the situation in a sort of creative and positive way you know and uh and that's i think what they realized that you know like i wasn't again in fact when they when the police came after the show it was always at the house of some very old person you know so the, the scene was completely surreal you know because they will find ninos do brazil in full makeup you know <laughs> this old lady confetti on the floor the p.a you know in the living room and you're like what is going on you know like and, and they could tell from the documents that we were not related to this old lady so it's like how did these dudes in makeup arrive <laughs> and perform for this lady. And why the hell did the lady allow this to happen? What is it? <laughs> so somehow it was hilarious enough for them to let go, I think.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could smell the absurdity of it. For so sure. how did you feel about performing to the the limited audiences?
2: You know, to, to me, it felt somehow like I was just reinvigorating, you know, like... Um, the, this very basic thing that we all understood and also, I guess, enjoy of the underground, you know, like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter for how many people you play. It just matters that we're there. And that's the, where the name of the project come from. You know, you know it basically means I, us, you know, and Yonoi know all together, I, us all together. To me, it was a way to define, to call the space, which is not just a physical space, but also like an emotional and a mental space that that you create together with the people that you perform for. So when when you perform, it doesn't matter for how many people you're performing. It just matters that there is at least one person there. And then all of a sudden, the situation is collectively created. It's a collaboration in a way. And uh, so to me, it, it, it never mattered for how many people I was performing for. It was always like, as long as there is somebody, we're going to give it all. And I think that's true for everyone sitting sitting here, you know, like there's, um, again, quoting a, a, an hardcore band, Rorschach was a band that was that i was very much into in in the 90s and they had this and they were an amazing band but they had this discography cd and in the back there was a very short story about them it was like the first gig we ever performed there were like uh 56 people attending four albums later three seven inches later seven tours later we perform our last gig uh, there and there were 34 people there yeah. you know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> and still you know it was a band that i mean it's still a band that had a huge impact on the, on the underground scene worldwide and uh it was a band that i still listen to because the music was fantastic uh but the i guess truly it does not matter how many people attend the gig, you are going to always going to give the best. And to me, this is the essential one of the essential aspects of the underground.
3: Yeah. It's hard to forget the gigs where you're playing to two or three people, maybe one person or just the other band. I
2: think those
3: are the most memorable sometimes.
2: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it felt like sometimes again, and I don't want to sound too pathetic to, to, to underline this, but somehow this project was very touching because, you know, like it, I knew it took an effort for, let's say, an 86 old lady to host this kind of thing, especially during pandemic. You know, because I'm still very hesitant sometimes now to meet people. And they're like, hey, you have the mask? Well, you know, I don't. You are a little hesitant always. Mm. Just imagine, you know, like these two random people coming in. And we didn't have much time because we were uh, traveling every day to a different location. So we have always to be quick, you know, we will enter your room, be like, hey, there's not enough space for the BA and there's not enough space for the drum kit. May we remove everything that is in the living room and we put it in the kitchen. He's <laughs> like, all right then you know that you do the sound check and the sound check is extremely loud Mm -hmm. because we have a problem. We have an issue with Ninos do Brasil, which is like the drum kits are so loud that the PA has to overcome that loudness. So Mm -hmm. it has to be extremely loud. And on top of that, right before the gig, we even have to put makeup on and have these wigs you know and 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 the music is insane and we don't say a word you don't understand the lyrics we are not super quiet once we're on stage so i knew there was an effort you know like that it was a an effort that we were doing collectively but collectively it meant ninos and an old lady you know (laughs) like uh, so it was sometimes very very emotional It was a difficult tour. It was a difficult tour. It's something I will never forget. And we also had a lot of troubles, you know, because Nicolau, the other guy in Niño's tested positive the day we left. It was positive to COVID. We discovered on the same day, and I was like, I cannot cancel the tour now. I cannot cancel it, you know, like, first of all, because it was a lot of work to put these things together. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like, I felt How can I say I'm trying to do something, you know, positive during a negative time and then just fail miserably, you know, because this thing that I'm fighting against also touched me, you know, like, so I was like, Nicola, I'm going to live alone. And so I did the first two gigs alone and it was insane. It was super difficult, you know. Yeah. And then after two gigs, I called Nicola. I said, Hey Nicolò, I, I need to to find somebody else. You know, I need to, to have some, somebody else taking your your role because I have to, to focus too much on the drumming, you know, I cannot move, it's the show not the, the shows simply don't work. Ninos is a duo and, and so I found a person that I never met before that was willing to travel with me. So she traveled with me and we did a few gigs. Then we arrived in Rome. And in Rome, I had an accident because somebody, ba- like the, the, the guy that was hosting us exploded one of those confetti right inside my eye.
3: Oh my God. And
2: I had to go to the hospital and I was about to miss my, to lose my eye. And then, you know, like the following day without seeing completely, like I, I could not see a thing from that eye. Um... Uh, I started to drive with the other guys, you know, and the doctor called, I was like, Nico, I'm just calling to check that you're still home, right? I'm like, no, I'm in the (laughs) car. Nico, I don't think you understand the situation. You are very, very close to lose your sight from that eye. Like, I'm not kidding. You don't even have to stand up. You cannot sit down. If the pressure in your eye changes your eye is gonna disappear so basically at that time like we had to stop the car and i I had to take a decision you know and i said well okay guys drive me back home you continue the tour basically i was saying you continue the ninos do brazil tour without ninos do brazil so for two gigs there was the sound engineer dressed as me and we always filmed it from afar pretending that it was me but after two shows my sister called me was like nico what the fuck is going on that guy is not you
3: like, I'm like i yeah, need yeah. to see this now <laughs> i was like yeah it's me
2: and she was like nico that is not you i can tell you know that it, it's another guy what's happening and so i told her and then i understood you know i had to find a solution so i went to the doctor he said well this is sort of a miracle your eye is much better it doesn't mean you know you can do crazy shit but I would say you're allowed to join the tour and take it very easy. I joined the tour. I didn't take it easy, but anyhow, we continue. And afterwards, Nicola was able to join us for the last week of the tour because the tour lasted for almost three weeks. And there, you know, we decided to end the tour as a trio because somehow I felt, you know, this is a a project about including people, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's... Again, you, Noi, I, and us, you know? So I liked the idea that the band was getting bigger somehow. So it was a very complicated tour, never again.
3: <laughs> oh my God. How do you feel about the Confetti Cannons now in small spaces?
2: Oh, well, I always liked them. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we do too.
2: Uh, I, I, uh, I, like, <laughs> I, I like those confettis, you know. Like, well, it's such a part of the band. Where did you, where did you guys sleep? were sleeping always at small hotels that that were, they were open yeah they were mm-hmm. open you know because for for work you were allowed to travel again so but i mean on the boat for example to sardinia normally you will have like no matter when during the year like it just only get worse during summertime but at least you have to be in line in your car for two hours there, it was just Ninos to Brazil and a truck, nobody else. <laughs> like the, the highways, if we were encountering like three cars during the travel, it was a lot. Like shops were closed. It was not easy to travel this way. I mean, of course it was easier for certain aspects, but it was painful to witness, you know, like town being you know completely empty out like all the shops closed uh understanding that sound we're not gonna be open again ever again you know like difficult time difficult difficult time you would also do something else during this
1: time and that being a 24-hour performance
2: yeah was that before or after the tour this was before it was like during this was done the last day of the very first lockdown
1: the 24-hour performance yeah and you this was streamed online we would check in
3: we just kept it rolling We we, was kept rolling then we'd check in just
1: to see like is it still going (laughs) look over you know three in the morning and our time whatever that means for you yep still going still going (laughs) and so explain that performance so it was you were it was that track was playing and you were saying, I trust in you, right? That's the line yeah, that you were Yeah, I trusted saying?
2: you. Yeah, you know, like it was almost impossible. Like you don't know how uh, difficult, like how much concentration it demanded me to repeat that that line. All of a sudden, you know, like when, when you repeat, when you repeat something, you don't know what you're saying. Like I really had to focus on saying the sentence well you know like so that it was understandable but i i know i failed you know because at one point it's just like i tried i trust i i really had to focus hard on that aspect and on top of that yeah the body was because well, i don't think yeah. you ever saw did you take any breaks no 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 no. i had
1: a, I had a bottle of water and that's all. So, and and and, I, and when we started watching, I was wondering. It, it took. It was maybe about a half hour of watching it that we realized. Oh no, it's gonna be the same thing for twenty four hours. I thought maybe it would switch up. And you
3: weren't just saying it; you were you were dancing, you were walking, you were doing so many different things.
2: Yeah, you know, like the idea basically came up um, in front of the mirror. You know, like in the morning, I woke up after. I think it was two months of lockdown, you know, and somehow, don't ask me why, because it doesn't make much sense. To me, it was a relief you say, you know, like I I find some sort of uh, relief in thinking that the lockdown could have potentially lasted forever, meaning that I knew it was not going to last forever, but I found it very depressive and very hard on on my mental elf to think, hey, this is going to finish. This is going to finish. Because I didn't know when it was going to end. And I just wanted it to end. But, you know, like to say it was going to be endless somehow gave me more hope that if, if I was saying it's going to end one day, but I don't know when. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it makes sense. but So one day... I was in front of the mirror and I found myself as many other days, you know, like singing and listening to music and somehow dancing or anyhow moving to the music, you know, I was like, this is joy. This is actually joy. This is actually happiness, you know, like to be able to, to dance and to, to be able to, to listen to music, you know? And I was like, it would be nice to be able to dance you know for 24 hours maybe for friends and and people you know and somehow that idea stuck in my head and as it normally it happens when i think there's something interesting in a vision that you have you know like it, a lot of time you think about something and then it goes away if it stays it means that there is room for investigation and uh And then I came up with this idea of, uh, basically, you know, like um, Andy Kaufman went on TV uh, once dressed almost as Elvis. Anyhow, the the reference was definitely Elvis. And he sang, I trusted you, I trusted you for... Couple of minutes, and for the audience, for the TV audience, that was like endless, you know. Mm-hmm. And I like, I like that. And I, I thought, yeah, maybe that's what I should do, you know, because I did it before. This quoting uh, Andy Kaufman, I did it in another performance, and then I was like, yeah, maybe I can, I can have this run for twenty-four hours, and um, yeah, that's how it all came. And
1: there were definitely points where you. You were? Did you feel that you were sort of not losing it, but sort of in this really strange mental space that you didn't necessarily expect to be in? Like a
3: strange meditative quality of repetition.
2: Totally, totally. And I know that that's because of that space that you manage somehow to to arrive to. You know, like to find once you do something so long you know so that 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 was able to to last you know because um yeah it was 24 hours is a long time actually it's a very long time and i think also another aspect that somehow helped me was the fact that right before entering the performance i felt i do need to see the passing of time. I do need a sign that tell me, you know, how much time has passed, otherwise I'll be lost. Mm-hmm. And so we had a strobe light that was activated more or less around the end of every hour. And then I split the time of the performance, you know, when, once the first hour was gone, and already was a long time for me, I was like, yeah, you know, three more hours and it means that four hours have passed, which is like 8% of what I have to do. But then all of a sudden, once I'll do other four hours, it's a third. Wow, That's not bad. But then if I do other other four hours, all of a sudden, it's half, half of the performance. And then when I was getting closer to the 12 hours, I was like, ah, Guess what, Nico? You know, talking to myself, guess what? <laughs> you know, like, after the 12 hours, you're going to start the countdown. So you don't go like, one, two, three, you go like, 12, <laughs> 11. And that, like, splitting the the goal, you know, into, into mm-hmm. smaller bits, you know, how do you say? It was super beneficial for my... For understanding the goal somehow, to understand what I was challenging myself to.
3: Well, the entire time you we were doing it in my head, like when we were watching it, I would be like, ah, oh, Nico's somewhere right now, going, I trust in you. I trust in <laughs> you. Like so I just had like a little Nico dancing in my head. But I don't know how you did it because even when I have to play like a, a piano line or something monotonously over and over, it's like you go outside of your body and you're watching your hands do it or you're just experiencing it and and you become so detached. Like I can't imagine what that was like for 24 hours. It's that's wild.
2: Yeah, you know, like I the somehow I think I was lucky in a way that I could not really train at all. You know, like I always intended to to train for this, like but from the moment I conceived the performance to the moment I staged it, it was maybe like 10 days. And it was a very complicated piece, even if it was so minimal, it was a very complicated complicated piece to arrange you know because nobody in my was in my studio but i still needed to find a pa where do you find a pa you know like i didn't have it so i had to rent it but nobody was open you know like uh, you have to rent how do you organize the streaming Uh, well you need a fast connection yeah but the connection in the studio is not fast enough we need to uh, upgrade it so find that organize this and this and that and that and also you know like a major part of the performance was also the the communication aspects of it you know like how mm-hmm. oh, i was gonna have people knowing that i was doing that and that took a long time to to organize uh, so basically you know i found myself the day of the performance that I had to perform without having you know tested my body like uh, having trained at all but I, I guess it was a lot like it was somehow a lack for me because I was entering somebody with without really understanding what was what, what I was going through. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah, you know, like an hour, then two hours, then three hours, and it's like, oh, but it's. Uh, I feel in a way, you know now that i'm talking to you because i never thought of it this this way but just just before i told you i had some sort of relief in thinking that the lockdown would have last forever and even in this performance somehow there was some sort of of relief in this idea that that was going on, going on and 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 going on i don't know like somehow i think this this performance has something to do with the way I confronted this whole experience of the of the pandemic, of the lockdown, of isolation. And, um, anyhow, whenever I do something that is so long durational, you know, even the tour of Niños, for example, mm-hmm. you can say, you know, like it's three weeks of a project. It's quite a long time. I always take it as it's luxury in a way, meaning that I feel that I'm um, the owner of my time. I feel like I'm somewhere doing something because I was the one that intended to do it to do that you know which is not something like which is the reason why at some point along my life I said to myself I'm an artist you know I want to be the creator of my time of my life and and to me that's a big difference between somebody that was that worked for somebody else, or uh, somebody that, that just have to invent himself or herself uh, day after day.
3: Well, yeah, you're great at making things. Ha- like if you have an idea, you're not just holding that idea; like you actually make it happen.
2: In a way, I, I, I feel that's, yeah, what what well, that's is all art, about, yeah. what what is, what is all about, you <laughs> yeah. know, and uh, and somehow and i I don't think i'm forcing this idea but i think it has something to do with the fact that in in my experience you know like i came from the middle of nowhere so in order to make things i had to be the one making them there was nobody else organizing gigs in vittorio veneto but i wanted to go to the gigs uh there was nobody else distributing those records. So I felt, you know, like people need to have access to these records. So I was the one creating a little distribution and it's all about that. It's all about, you know, believing that you have to be the one, you know, like making things otherwise, you know, that will never happen. Maybe, maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah. Where do you see the, I guess, divide or crossover in being an artist and being a musician? Because you do, you do both, right? You're talking about your studio and that's a, your art practice predominantly, right? Or at least was when, when you mm-hmm. started. So how did those, how do those overlap? How are they different? And how did they kind of merge into one thing where, you know,
2: you're an artist. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like the one thing that I always grew up knowing somehow or believing is the fact that that, what I was making was mm-hmm not just music meaning you know like that to me that thing that i associate with music is some sort of social activism that's one thing you know that that was always like often written in our core for example record our core is just not music and it truly meant something to me and therefore i never felt as a musician, I never felt I was a musician. Also, you know, like I'm terrible at playing any sort of instruments, you know, like I have ideas that, that I give to myself, but you know, like I'm a terrible drummer, I don't know how to hold a bass, uh, I'm not a good singer, but I was always engaging myself in bands because I always had fun. Uh, and, and, and again, it was a way for me to express ideas. And at one point, you know, like, um, when I started to question what I wanted to do, uh, later on in life, I was on tour with my, my previous band, this band, these are core band called with love. And, um, I started to develop this interest in visual art. I remember, you know, like the rest of the band was maybe spending the day off, uh, going to skate parks and, or music store, which is always, which is what I was doing too. But all of a sudden I was like, yeah, you know, there's a great contemporary art museum there. I'm going to go. And I join you later, and I will mm-hmm. have my little diary, you know, where I will take this note and be like, hey, this guy is nice, uh, Bruce Nauman. Uh, hey, this other guy, Paul McCarthy. Oh, wow, good. Mm-hmm. Vienna Actionism. You know, like I had all these notes, and all of a sudden, I started to see, I started, like, the, the two things started to mix in my head. You know, like I was going to the museum, I was like, yeah, this is great. But to some extent, it's also boring in a way, meaning, you know, like that I was feeling the lack of certain aspects that were so ex- that were so exciting to me in music, meaning that, for example, you know, like you will go to you. You never have somebody in a museum that just grab you, you know, uh, by the shirt and screaming your face, you know, and I was like. That's something that I always wanted from a music concert, you know, somebody jumping on my head, you know, the stage diving, the dancing, the physical, the, the fearness, like uh, the, the, there was something in there that I always loved and I was not finding in the museum. On the other hand, I was going to the, to the concert and all of a sudden I felt frustrated because I was like, yeah, but how good it will be now to be able to tell the promoter that I want to move the whole stage in front of the main door so that when I perform, the people have to climb on the stage in (laughs) order to arrive to the other part. And maybe, you know, I want the light to be off, you know, and maybe I want, I don't know, you know, whatever. And I felt maybe this is what I'm gonna do. Maybe this is what what I'm all about, you know? And so all of a sudden it all became about art because I never call myself a musician. I don't know. I made the story quite long, but that's, that's the only way I think I have to, to answer your question, you know, like, um, and even Nino's to in a way, of course it's a band, of course it's a music project. And I have to admit among all the things that I've done musically, possibly is the project that I'm the happiest about. I think it's, quite a singular project it's it's difficult i think to to define what ninhos is all about no it's uh, it's a lot of different things but but you know like ninhos do brazil for example like the idea of the band was conceived way longer Uh, way before it actually happened as a band, you know, like all of a sudden with Love, we were touring with with, with Love and Nicolò, the guy in Ninos, together with me, was the drummer of With Love. All of a sudden with Love, I had some sort of reasonable popularity in the scene, the music scene. And somehow that became a way for people to uh, stop uh, stop to stop us when we were talking on stage, you know, saying, Hey, this song is about this, you know, it's about being vegan. It's about animal rights, it's about, you know, the right that women should have to abort and whatever. And people like, yeah, we know the story. Come on, fucking play, you know. <laughs> and that to me, was like, I, I took it so badly, you know, like I was like, no, because this is more than music, you know, we are more than music. And now it's something that I look at and I find, I wouldn't say pathetic, but you know, like, I, I, I think it's, it was pretty clear anyhow that we were something more and we didn't have to, to 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 tell, to to say it all the time, you know? But anyhow, back then it felt like I need to find a solution for this. And and I said that I was frustrated to the rest of the band and they said, what do you think we can do about it? I was like, what if we do a band, you know, like a fake band? that performed with before us it was like Nico we don't understand what the hell you're talking about well you know imagine Nicola and I you know like completely dressed in these guys. imagine like I don't know we're dressed as soccer player you know like <laughs> and we enter the stage and we just go on and go on and go on with one single song what what is it all about? It was like, yeah, I imagine you know there is this song with the beat on the drum, like boom, 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 boom. And we just say, Nos somos niños do Brazil, somos niños do Brazil, nos somos niños do Brazil, somos niños do Brazil, somos niños do Brazil. And the rest of the band was like, yeah, but for how long? I don't know, maybe 40 minutes. <laughs> 40 minutes, just long enough for people to be annoyed and leave the room and then all of a sudden we play with with love and just the people that really care about the band, they're going to be there and the rest just leave. And we all laughed as, as, as you did, you know, and some good 10 years later there was this friend of mine that sadly died, but after uh, he called me, he was like, Nico, we would like you to perform at the festival again. Do you have any sort of Pleasant sounding project because last year what you play was great, but you know, like it was annihilating. It was like devastating. It was like so negative sounding, and I was like, "Yeah, but that's the way I'm. I'm able to deliver something musically." I said, "No, but Nico, you know, you're a funny guy. I'm sure you have something musically that is just as funny, you know, or at least positive as you can be personally." Like, no. There's nothing, you know. I'm I'm terrible, you know, like and then all of a sudden I was like, yeah, but there is ninjas do Brazil idea that <laughs> it was always there. I was like, let me call a friend and see if he's up to do something. So I called Nicola, I was like, Nicola, you remember ninjas to Brazil? I say, Oh, yeah, I do remember. What about it? Shall we do it? It's <laughs> like Seriously? Yeah, you know, like we play it. And, and that's how we did it. Like we start by performing No Somos do Brasil for like an hour or so. <laughs> and we liked it. We thought, wow, this is actually interesting because as you were saying, Tara, before about the, the, I trusted you, I trusted you, mm-hmm. I trusted you, I trusted, somehow, you know, like for the first three minutes, four minutes, people were just like, yeah, it's gonna become something else. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe that's it. And then all of a sudden the next question is like, yeah, but for how long? You know? And while you're wondering for how long you're already conquered, meaning, you know, like that 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 thing is in your head, and you keep in and, and then you're part of it. And then you mm-hmm. let go and you all become part of this. Uh, sometimes even for days you know there were people like nico <laughs> hey fuck you you know like i'm gotcha. just singing not so <laughs> i'm from brazil since three days so like yeah me too
0: <laughs> <laughs> well one of the, the the repetition you speak about and like even the concept of kind of the first song reminds me of of like liaisons dames russe mm-hmm. uh was in parque and of course like daf what were the what were the kind of uh, inspirations for the band aside from kind of something to open and, and weed out
2: who doesn't need to be there when we started there was no inspiration like we just took the idea as it came out and then all of a sudden you know like we started to question ourselves you know it was like yeah you know like we made a joke about Ninos do Brazil, but it didn't mean anything you know also it's wrong in Portuguese mm-hmm. you know like And we were like, should we call ourselves Ninos do Brazil, which would be the right way? I was like, no, you know, because if you type, if you Google Ninos do Brazil, then you will find Ninos do Brazil. But if you find, you Google Ninos do Brazil, it's completely wrong and therefore we are unique. And then, you know, like we we started investigating this whole idea of this stereotype that people project onto Brazilian culture in this way. But, it doesn't have to be so specific. It's uh, Ninhos do Brasil in a way became, uh, like the first step for Ninhos do Brasil was investigating the stereotypes and sort of twisting them around and make fun of creating stereotypes about a culture or another. And then, you know, like uh, for me, it was a way again to underline these this whole necessity that I always felt of destroying, or at least thinner, that distance that's, that there is between the performer and the audience, you know? So, Niños do Brazil was always a collective effort, you know, like we don't communicate, we have a, a, a language that is just our own language. The only thing that we always say during the concert is like, hey, Niños do Brazil is us. When we say us, it means each and every one of us in the room, we make this thing collectively. We react because you react, and and it's a loop, you know, that goes on. But there's a lot of 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 concepts somehow behind the news of Brazil. Even this idea of the invented language, you know, came from a twisted uh, understanding of of one simple thing, you know, like when you listen to pop music as a non speaking not not an english speaking person you are often exposed to pop music through the radio you know which is like a english song you know mm-hmm. and you don't understand a word you know it's just sounds which is interesting you know because you like the way it sounds but you don't understand the words and sometimes you know like you invest your time trying to translate the lyrics, and most of the time they they are even worse than when you are not understanding, you know, right. because yeah. they don't mean anything <laughs> under my umbrella. <laughs> ela, ela. <laughs> like, what, what is all about? You know, like I mean and and then I thought, you know, like ninjas do Brazil should be about this, you know, like it's a pop band in a way. In our in our perspective, ninos do Brazil was a pop band. And uh we wanted the lyrics to sound somehow understandable without meaning anything so the the words that compose the lyrics are words that you can repeat
3: oh we sing along yeah definitely mike and i don't know
0: what we're saying because we're not, <laughs> yeah. not the, oh, yeah. we, no we don't idea. know either <laughs> do you know do you know this uh italian artist uh, adriano Salantano? Yeah, of course. So that, it's very much in that way, right? He he made a song that was supposed to sound like English and all the words are fake English where an English speaker hears it and it's like, these aren't words, but...
2: I love the song. A and non-native
0: speaker, it, it
2: <laughs> and probably knew, sounds normal. I knew the song. I knew the song before, but I never knew that the reason why I made it was like, I, I understood later, you know, like I made the link later. And in fact, there was this dream for Ninos do Brasil to be able to write a song together with Adriano Celentano, because I thought these would be super popular in Italy, but also very twisted. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if we will ever achieve that, but uh, it's it's something that we would love to do. That's awesome. <laughs> That's
1: amazing. And speaking of great Ninos songs, we have an entire album of new great Nino songs coming out
2: imminently. It's going to be once again on Hospital Productions entitled Anthropop. There's a story that can be told about the album, I feel, because the last album, the previous album of Niños do Brasil was called Vida Eterna. You we're in the we're in the darkness. Oh, I love and the it. The damp- yes. Well, vida eterna translate is life eternal. So you you know exactly. Right. where Vampire what bats ref- and trees. Yeah. And the idea was that Ninho, like all every single album of Ninjas do Brazil is conceived as a travel as a trip through the uh, song title which are the only real words that we use. You can sort of picture the travel that we're uh, that we're we're doing. So Vida Eterna was a, was a trip where basically niños were attacked by nocturnal animals, like nocturnal creatures, meaning vampires, you know, and we were sort of going through the forest in order to uh, escape to, from them. And all of a sudden, you know, when we were thinking about the next album, I was like, you know, at first we we wanted the travel to finish at the beach meaning yeah you know like after all this darkness we go back to where we came from and there is this joyful album coming out but yeah great great then we entered the the recording studio and the sound was was again very like it was continuing a little bit this darkness that that was before and so i said to 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 Niccolo, maybe we're not out of the forest yet. Maybe you know, like we're even more confined. Maybe you know, we have to escape from the from the bats and we enter a cave and we lock ourselves in the cave and we discover there an ancient approach to rhythm. And you know, like uh, fantasizing about this, I was like, yeah, maybe this is how the first rhythm started. You know, because maybe when our ancestors were living in the caves, the animals were entering and in order to scare them, first they started to scream. And then, you know, maybe they started to hammer rocks or, you know, tree branches on on the cave uh, walls. And then all of a sudden, you know, as they were doing that all together, they found out they could create rhythm and maybe they started to play music. Maybe that's how it all started. This whole introduction to say that I find quite strange you know that this was recorded right before the pandemic and the lockdown which supposedly come from bats and and i mean it's a weird uh weird introduction i think a a weird weird feeling for for us somehow but but i definitely think the last track
1: on the record Maybe you did get out of the cave in that last track because it's those
3: tones of transcendent brightness come yeah, through And, the and it is
1: It feels like yeah. a very different track for mm-hmm. Nino's. There is something very distinct about that track, and I feel that you hit on something
2: new with that track. Mm-hmm. The la- that, that, that that's another secret about the way the Nino's album are conceived. Not only each album is a trip, but the last track of the album always give you an hint of where we're going next. So definitely we're out of the cave. Definitely we are, we are out of the darkness. And definitely the new material we're working on is a very bright full and uh, solar, in a way, sounding uh, thing. Well, I'm excited <laughs> for stuff to come after that, but
1: also on the record, a really exciting person that you got to work with, mm-hmm.
2: Igor Cavalera. You know, even there we have a, a, I'm sorry that everything that I say it takes forever, you know, like. Well, the good thing is that you're on a podcast
1: and that's what people are oh, listening yeah. for, For is to hear your stories. So please. <laughs> yeah, for real.
2: <laughs> Funny thing is that, you know, like, um, of course, you know, like I was, I always been a massive fan of Sepultura, you know, and of the whole legacy of the Cavalera brothers and. All of a sudden, you know, like Nicolo and I are performing with Niños do Brasil in Naples. And there is a message reaching me and it's from the producer of Niños do Brasil, which is called Rocco Rampino, who's called Rocco Rampino. And he's like, hey, Nico, you never guess with who I am right now. I'm in LA. Like, yeah, ooh, I'm here with the Cavalera brother because they are performing tonight. It's like, oh, how cool. But Nico, you won't believe this. They're a massive fan of Niños do Brasil. I was like, yeah, come on, man, give me a break. No, no, Nico, not only they're a massive friend of Niños, but during this tour, they are performing each night one cover. It's just like, they perform two covers, one one night, one other on mm-hmm. night, and, and, and one night they play... Um, ace of Spade, you know of uh of, of, of moderate mm-hmm. and and the other night they play ninos do brazil i was like yeah <laughs> come <laughs> on you know and you know like i i just say goodbye to him you know thinking what a, what a silly joke what that what is that supposed to mean and then later on he sent me a uh a, a video of the cavalier brother performing a track of ninos do brazil and i was like you know, it must have taken him forever to edit the video so that it seems <laughs> yeah. like, that they're, like they, they're actually performing the track. And I was like, but there's no editing. There's no cut. And I was like, it it truly seems like they're playing, like maybe it's the same BPM. I was like, And then I was like, yeah, but it doesn't make sense because this friend of mine doesn't have, like he has a great sense of humor, but not of that kind. And so I called him, I was like, Rocco, please, tell me right now, is this serious? I mean, Nico, how do I have to tell you? Yes, they're a (laughs) massive fan of Ninos do Brazil. And all of a sudden, Nicolau is like, Nico, you know what? Years ago, there was a Igor Cavalera that wrote to Ninos do Brasil, but I thought he was just, uh, he had the same name of Igor Cavalera and I didn't even reply. I was like, mm. why the hell didn't you reply? Because, you know, he was asking for a collaboration and I was like, who is this guy? You know, I was like, yeah, but is Igor Cavalera, you know, like, <laughs> so we wrote to Igor Cavalera and uh, to make it short. Even if it was very long before, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, we, we contacted him afterwards and asked him, uh, whether he was open to collaborate with Nino's and Al, yes. And I said, well, wow. Mm-hmm. So we sent him the track and then he recorded and had incredible stuff onto it. So, oh man, that's it's really exciting. The record is, is really great. So yeah, what else is great?
1: is that album cover
3: oh my god i love it
1: where where did that come
2: from you know like well i tried to make it short this time there's a very long story even (laughs) here but you know like it it all comes from this idea you know like uh anthropop you know mean to me it means like uh, cave pop music somehow and pop it's also popcorn and so there you know like I, mm-hmm. I just thought okay but the popcorn look a little bit like the brain and it's a bit like the brain of ninjas that explode a little bit <laughs> oh, okay maybe that's the cover and that's how it all came i i had i had a human i still have a human skeleton uh in a box <laughs> in my studio <laughs> which is like uh for medical purposes mm-hmm. that's how i bought it and um it was always there and um uh, i always felt well maybe one day there will be something coming out of this and the ninjas album cover came <laughs> So, so great. Wondering. I was
3: hoping to like take that story And then just you when you have to leave On your cell phone for like the next 10 hours Just like walking out the door And then flying back to Italy <laughs> and You're still telling the story so,
2: yeah, like, it, could, it, could, it could happen we, Okay
1: <laughs> Well everyone's going to get a chance to see it And listen to it here Nigo, unfortunately, I do think that you have to go. I think we've we to you, have, you yes. a little long. Unfortunately, obviously, we could just be hanging out for hours. Wait, biggest question before we go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that restaurant still open with the greatest? Yes. Spaghetti, spaghetti. dish of all time.
2: La <gasps> Is there they is are there. still open? We They're possibly open.
3: have discussed that on this best, greatest as dish. As possible. We're I hungry. I love that
2: pasta very much.
3: It's the best. Greatest <laughs> pasta dish.
2: I love it. And now they have a very good pumpkin gnocchi also. Very good. <sighs> well, you know what? Be still my heart. We're coming. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> as a matter of fact, you are. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
3: You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noise one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us, and to noise.